Well, I'm sorry, I, I guess what I want to do is I want to take us out of Sunday and bring us to Monday. You know, it's really interesting, there's no T-G-I-M, is there? <laughs> nah, thank goodness it's Monday. And you know, you're not usually apt to be saying, hi-ho, hi-ho, it's off to work I go, you know? A couple of us got back from Disney World and they do that down there, but they don't do that where you work, I'm sure, where you go to school. So, yeah, generally it might be that we're thinking uh, you can take this job and do what you want with it and so on. Yeah, we are kind of an obsessed culture uh, about work. Um, it's where we spend uh, uh, most of our time and we're just really into it as a culture. It's just really interesting. Uh, compared to the rest of the world, we really are into it. Um, uh, U.S. workers, uh, they forfeited half of their vacation time, paid vacation time, if people had that. They said, I, I can't do it. And 10% of people who get paid vacation, they don't even take it because they just keep working and working and working. About 11% of us um, spend more than 50 hours uh, a week in our work, uh, compared with a place like the Netherlands, uh, which only is 0.5% of people do that. And f half of us are unhappy in our jobs. And of those who leave, more than three quarters say it's because they just felt unappreciated as if it wasn't worth it, and so on. Our economy ranks on a scale of how they figure these things out, number 30 in promoting work-life balance. And two-thirds of us say we don't have it, that our work is just like way like this. It's just nuts and crazy. And at-home parents have the same issue, plus the fact that they're socially isolated. And, and, and those who are single parents at home, I mean, work-life what? Balance? There's not, not such a thing. I'm working all the time, all the time. By the way, that's why we're trying to put together this mom-to-mom -mom thing, so that that social isolation and that opportunity for folks to kind of get a break uh, can be provided. Even children experience stress in their job. And what's the job of being a child? Well, it's like, I gotta go to daycare. You know, got to deal with the kids in daycare. It's got to go to school. I got to face the exams and the little tests and all the kind of issues that I have with relating to my friends. And if I'm on social media, I got to deal with all that stuff. And so people just have a lot of stress about the stuff they do. And that was my experience growing up in the nifty 50s when everything was supposed to be sweet, right? You know, you sort of have that idea. By the way, those weren't the good old days, let me tell you. Good old days for a certain kind of people, but not for other kind of people. But for me, it was just stress from beginning to end. And I've had to wrestle with this all of my life, all the way through. Particularly as a pastor, as a leader of people in Christ, you would think by then, you know, I'd sort of be able to rest in the Lord. Well, you know, it's a continual challenge for me because we live in this soup of being just a work-obsessed culture. So contrary to common convention, stress was not invented in the 21st century. In fact, if you read literature that runs back through the generations and centuries, people are reporting stress in their jobs and how difficult it is to live life as someone who works. I think even Joseph, the carpenter, and his son Jesus experienced a measure of stress in their workplace. It sort of goes with the territory. They had customers. They had deadlines. They may have had issues with the supply that they needed to produce what they produced, and so they had to deal with that. Jesus had to deal with that at home as he dealt with his siblings. You imagine what it'd be like to grow up with the Son of God in your life? I mean, uh, talk about perhaps some issues. Uh, you know, it's no surprise that his brother James was one of the last to come to believe in him 
as Savior and Lord. So, if Jesus was a working guy, do you think he might have something to say to us about work? Not only because he's God and because his word is true on all matters, matters of life and so on, but because he's lived it. He's done this life as a working person. So we're we're continuing our series of looking at what are called the Psalms of Ascent, and uh, those who are in life groups will know that we're working out of a text called Along Obedience, which just kind of gives us some uh, reflections about it, um, written by the late Eugene Peterson. And these Psalms have a way of kind of reorienting our, our life to God, as they did for people who originally wrote them and they were originally said and recited as people would go to the temple of God on occasions of pilgrimage to kind of get refocused in the matters of life. So today we're going to be looking at Psalm 127, which addresses really the subject of work. Now again, it was written in the context of B.C. Israel and Jerusalem and the temple, which is where these people were going. But it has principles that apply to 21st century life, whether it be in your job or at home or at school. Now, I'm going to read it to you in the New International uh, Version of the Bible, but you'll find it in the church edition that's in front of you on page uh, 441, and also you'll see it up on the screen. It reads, Unless the Lord builds the house... The builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. He grants sleep to those he loves. Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. May God add a blessing to this beautiful word. So Lord, we just pray that you would send the Holy Spirit so that whatever you want each one of us to hear, or for us as a couple or family to hear, we'd be able to receive it and take it, not just for today, but for the days to come. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, the psalm begins with a really striking statement, a striking image of work. And it's not just that builders build and watchers watch guard over the city. That's sort of normal stuff in the days uh, of Israel. But it's stating that God works alongside these ordinary laborers. It says the Lord builds the house. The Lord watches over the city with the watchmen and with the builders. In fact, throughout the Bible, you'll find that God is the main worker in life, and we work with him and for him. So here's the first thing that I think you ought to take with you, and it's this. God wants in on your work. He wants to be in on your job, unless it's a job that he could never be involved in morally or ethically. The Lord builds the house and invites some people to work with him in doing that kind of building. 
Now, back before the new year, Pastor Paul Joyle introduced us to two guys who were kind of amazing just because they're in the Bible and they're kind of ordinary people who are filled with the Holy Spirit. The two guys are Bezalel and Aholiab, and they're in Exodus 36. And they're laborers, they're craftsmen. They're skilled and they're intelligent, but God says, I want to fill them with the Spirit so that they can create things that will bless other people and that'll be used with me. It's as if the Lord's gonna work with these guys who are ordinary laborers. Now those of us here who build things, work with our hands, or maybe we work with our hands creating things that are either spoken or read or they go out on the internet, or we're engaged in some kind of activity where we create you know, an, an environment where people work together or something like that. We're creating stuff and building stuff. We need to see ourselves as workers with and for God. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. And then it says, unless the Lord watches over the city, then those who do that labor in vain. It's the Lord who watches over the city, and he invites some people to work with him in that kind of oversight of the city and of its various components. So that might be the elected and appointed authorities that watch over us here in this city and in your town or city. These are people that are appointed by God, whether we like them or not. Romans 13.1 says that God has put them in that place. There are others who provide oversight in business. You may be a team leader. You may actually be somebody's boss. There are others who provide oversight in a classroom or in an educational context. There are others who provide oversight in a medical context and so on. Those of us who provide that kind of leadership, we need to see ourselves providing the leadership under the leadership of God, that he's the one that wants to lead that team. He's the one that wants to lead that classroom. He's the one that wants to lead that city or that town. And that we offer ourselves to him as workers with him, providing, again, it's a way of leading that he can participate in. He's certainly not going to participate with a leader who oppresses his workers or who harasses his or her students. Whatever it is, God wants to be in on it. Now, you may never have thought of your work in that way, that this is something that God is doing, and you're doing it kind of after him or with him. You may have let him in on your life, but you may never have let him in on your work. You may be what one writer calls a Monday morning atheist. Here you are professing your belief in God, and it may be that tomorrow morning, He's like a million miles away. That was the church thing. That was the spiritual thing. Or maybe you pray around meals, but forget about connecting with him at work. No, 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 no. He really wants to be in on your job and on your work. So perhaps you need to invite God to work with you. Now, some of us have invited our children to work. Isn't there that day, invite your kid to work day or something like that? Some of us may have invited our parents to come and see, you know, see where I work. Ooh, look what I'm doing. Some of us may have invited our dog to work, invited our cat. I mean, that's a little crazy. Cats wouldn't care about work anyway. Some of them have invited our lizard to work. I don't know, but have we invited God to work? That's the question. Here's what I want to do. If I've just described the kind of work that you do, you know, either you create something or build something. It doesn't have to be something material, but it can be educational or whatever. Uh, you work, so to speak, with your hands, I guess. 
or, or if you provide some kind of oversight, and I'm not going to do anything weird for you, I'm just going to ask you to pray silently by yourself. Would you just raise your hand? And what's some show of hands who people who work like that? Raise your hand if I described you just a little while ago. Okay? All right, so here's what I want to have happen. I want you right now to pray that you would meet God at your workplace tomorrow if you go back to work tomorrow. And for the rest of you who didn't raise your hand, I want you to pray for those people who are building stuff and providing oversight. Let's take a moment to pray. And if you're watching uh, this uh, broadcast, I want you to pray at home um, about your life if this just described you. So let's pray just for a minute. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, now, now, the, the, the psalm turns so, to, turns, so to speak, towards the home and, I think, towards the school. And there are a bunch of people here who are in that category. It says, children are a heritage from the Lord. And it's kind of a no-brainer. Anybody who's ever had a child or a grandchild knows that that child comes from the Lord. Yes, we know the biology of it, but children come from the Lord. And they have work that they are to do. Their life work is designed by God. And God wants to work with them. And he wants them to be working for him. In 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 26, we read this about Samuel, who grew up to be one of Israel's greatest prophets. It says, the boy Samuel grew in stature and in favor with God and with people. And you know what? It says the very same thing about Jesus with the addition of one word. It says that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with others. If you will, that's really the job description of somebody growing up. To grow up strong and healthy in stature and to grow up to learn what it means to be in favor with God and with other people. And that requires learning. That's the job of learning, so to speak. And God invites those people who are in that situation, children and youth and young adults, to grow in that way. And so, if you will, he sends them to school, either in the home or out of the home, so that they might learn how to do that. That's their job. Those of you who are in school, that's your job. Now, you may have a job on the side. They'll pay for the school. But your real job is to pursue this deal and to see yourself there with God. Now, it's really amazing how quickly children learn that school is a no-God zone. They sort of figure that out, and we want to say that is just not true, and they need to have parents and grandparents and other adults of influence and perhaps classmates to say, no, God is here. In fact, I'm serving him. I'm working with him here as I'm studying, as I'm growing, as I'm learning. And then it says children or offspring are a reward from him. And those of us here whose primary task is to receive and to raise these rewards that he's given us in our children and grandchildren, we need to see ourselves doing that work of child raising with him or of teaching with him. Some of us here are teachers. That he gives and grows our children and we are to follow him in that work. In fact, the Bible says in Ephesians 3.15 that every family on earth receives its name, its, 
its title, its existence from God. And that those who serve him in the family or in the school as mother or father or aunt and uncle or grandparent or as teacher or as friend are serving with him in that work, no less than the work is done in the office or the factory or in other places. Now again, you may never have thought of your work at home or in the school as a teacher as something like this, something that God wants to be in on. You may have welcomed babysitters into your life. You may have welcomed substitute teachers, either paid or unpaid relatives who come to help you out. But have you welcomed God into your situation where you're helping to raise up children? So, for those of us here and those of us watching whose primary task is to help raise up children and young people and young adults, I'd like you to, to pray uh, that you would meet God in that. And again, if that's not where you primarily do your job, then I want you to pray for those people. So let's take a moment and just pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You see, in the Christian life, we're invited to ascend with the Lord to kind of get a bigger picture of what our life is all about. That God wants to be in on everything. And it's not just, oh, I got to do my job. But actually, I get to do my job and that God is going to do that job with me. Last week, Pastor Tom said in his message this. He said, our ascent in the Christian life takes us out of the false promises and the hostility of the world around us. And especially the false promises and the hostility that surrounds our work life. So our work environments in the office, the factory, the school, or even home are often places of hostility and false promises where we're told if we do it right, we'll get the brass ring or our kids are going to turn out to be amazing. If only we just... Do it just right. It takes us away from those false promises and brings us into the world of truth and grace, of a life with God in Christ, who, as we just sang about, is filled with amazing grace and lavishes his love upon us and upon the stuff that we engage to. So our ascent brings us into the truth and grace of a real life with him, and especially in the place where we spend a major portion of our time, which is our work. That's what the Bible says in Psalm 127, which we're looking at. So how does this play out, this concept that God is to be in in our work? Well, Psalm 127 looks at it negatively. It says, unless the Lord builds the house, then this is what happens. So what we're going to look at just right now is sort of like one of those little sliding things that you sometimes see in certain offices. You see the boss is in or the boss is out or you go to the doctor's office now and you see these doctors are in these doctors are out so this is what happens if God is out of your work it looks like this that the builders who are doing their building either physical building or creating uh, you know projects or, 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 or papers and things of that nature. The builders working on the internet, they build in vain. It's just like, it just doesn't really hang together or it's just like they, they build this thing and then they got to do the next thing and it's kind of like 
oh, man, like Ecclesiastes, this is just all vanity. It's just all kind of useless. And the same is true with those people who are providing oversight, who are guarding things, you know. Teachers who teach, you know, they got this class, and then next time they got this class, and they got problems and stuff. Or people who are counselors or therapists, you see this person, they got that problem, and then pff, you're on to the next one. It just kind of gets like, whoa. It's sort of like the Greek mytho- mythological character named Sisyphus. Anybody know that name? Sisyphus. He was a king of Corinth who apparently messed up in some way that the gods got annoyed with him, and they consigned him to a life of having to push a boulder up a hill. And he would push this boulder up to the top of the hill and then the hill was almost shaped like a pyramid because as soon as it got to the top, it would roll down the other side. And so he'd go over and he'd push that thing up and then it would go down. Does that sort of feel a little bit like your job sometimes? It's just like you're pushing it up the hill and then it goes down. Pushing up the hill, one problem to the next. That's what happens just as a rule of life if God is not involved in your work. And then this is really important. It says in, in this text, it says, um, in vain you rise early and stay up late. Do you realize how sleep-deprived we are as a culture? I mean, it's just absolutely astonishing how many of us are just half awake because we feel like in this work-obsessed world that, that we've got to get up early to get it all done and go to bed really late in order to make it all happen. Now, again, exceptions here for people who are taking care of a household by yourself. I understand that, but... Really, most of us are just kind of, we're just living in this God is out kind of culture, and so we're just burning the candle at, at both ends, and we're just exhausted. That's part of what happens. And we end up just kind of toiling. You know, there are Bible words for work, and one of them is work, which is a good thing. Another one is toil, and that's what came into the world when Adam and Eve harvested that first fruit that they were given uh, instructions not to eat. And that's what we do. We toil for food. Just feel like, oh, man, it's just one thing after another. And we're always contending. We're always contending with opponents, whether it be the boss or the coworkers that might take our job or the clients who are kind of giving us a hard time or the customers or the teachers or the students or our classmates or other parents or our neighbors. We're just kind of always at odds with each other. And this can even apply to an entire company culture. I remember when I served as a pastor, there was a member of my church who came to see me, and I'd never had anybody come to talk to me about this particular issue, but she said, i got to talk to you about my workplace. She was a customer service representative in a pharmaceutical company, and her job was to sell pharmaceuticals to, to various people, you know, doctors and so on. So she'd be on the phone uh, in a call center making calls, and she said, this place, she said, they just push, push, push. They're just pushing product. And, 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 you know, it's just like more, 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 more. And, and just kind of, you know, everybody kind of wants to get ahead and, and, and everybody wants to promote themselves. And this wasn't what this woman was into at all. She just wanted a job, just wanted a job. And she said, I don't know, maybe I'd get out of here. And as she began to talk, I began to think of James chapter 316. I, don't, I didn't know the reference because I never remember references, but I occasionally remember scriptures. And this verse came to me. Wherever there is greed and selfish ambition, James says, there will be disorder of every kind. I said, that place is filled with greed and selfish ambition. I said, you probably need to get out of there. There's real disorder in that. Well, you know what happened? A couple months later, they found out that that pharmaceutical company was putting out product that was tainted. It killed people. It sickened hundreds of people. Remember that place? New England Pharmaceutical, I think it was called. A bunch of those guys went to jail. 
as they should, and particularly the CEO and those in the leadership because they pushed and pushed and pushed. So even the pharmacists who wanted to have a clean pharmaceutical environment, it was filled with disorder of every kind. And there were impurities that were sent out and injected into people and they died. That's the kind of stuff that happens when God is out of your work. But if God is in our work, then this is what happens. It's just kind of life goes. Builders build and guards watch. And yeah, there's struggle and issues. That's never going to be far from us in this light. But there's just not this sense of this is meaningless. This is vanity. This is kind of a chasing after wind that builders build and they're able to step back and say, that's pretty good. Maybe I could do it better next time. Or the guards watch and they say, you know, this is a good thing that I'm doing here. And this is really important, an important little phrase. It says, if God is in on our work, he gives sleep to those he loves. Remember that little phrase. We're going to pick up on that in a moment. God gives sleep to those he loves. And they, people who are working, they get food, but not just food that fills their stomach. They get what Jesus said. He said, don't labor for the food that that perishes, labor for the food that endures, which I'll give you. And that has to do with a sense of satisfaction that in fact we are working for God. We're doing God's work when we do things like pick up the trash or plant a tree or help a child or, or care for somebody or teach a lesson or build a product, that that's a good thing. We begin to get a sense that this is good. And so when our life comes to an end, we won't be put to shame. We won't be saying, what a waste of time. I did this job that I, I realize now is just a chasing after wind. But in fact, we can be just doing the same job, but we say, I did it with God. And it meant something to me and to the relationships with the people that I had around me. You see, Psalm 127 is showing us or redirecting us to the work of God, the work of our entire life with God. You see, God's planted you in your job. God's planted you in this particular school that you go to in Worcester. God has planted you in your home to do work with him and for him. He can do things with you and through you in that place that no pastor, no preacher can ever do. You are planted there for him to do some work with you. Well, in order for you and me to see that, we need to go deeper into what really is our work. As Jesus was once asked this question, they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Now, that's a great question. That's a great kind of life question. But they turned it into a religious question. They think he was going to say, well, pray this and do that, and blah, 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 and then God's going to be happy with you as we heard described today. That's not the way it was at all. Jesus said, the work of God is this, to believe in the one who he sent, which would be himself. To believe in Jesus, this is the work of God. You may say, well, I believe in Jesus. Well, it's not just about believing in Jesus and going to church and saying your prayers. It's about believing in Jesus in every aspect of your life. Having a relationship with God and having a connection with God who's working with you in every aspect of your life, it, it, including your work. And that has to do with not only what you do, but who you are. It's both sides. The work of a believer isn't just the stuff you do for God. It's who you become for God in the places where he's called you to be, including your workplace or your schoolroom or your home. 
doing the work of God is both something to do and to be, if it is, the work of God. Now, unfortunately, we here live in a to-do culture. We're all about doing. And those of us who have come to the United States, North America, from another culture, you know this. You're just astonished by how we are just always doing something. We are doing, doing, doing people. When we meet people, what do we ask? What do you do? Nobody else in the world asks that question. What do you do? Go to Africa. You don't ask somebody that question. That's not the question that's asked. But that's what we ask because it's important. We're all about enterprise. I did this. I built this. I created this. My life has significance from the stuff that I've done. We kind of can end up at our worst like the elder brother in the story of the prodigal son, or I call it the prodigal father, the, the father who's just amazingly loving and gracious like our God is. Remember that elder brother when the younger brother come back? What did he say to the father? The father was just so kind and gracious to him. He says, all these years I've worked for you like a slave and you never gave me anything. Whoa, whoa buddy. Well, where did that come from? Well, it came from a life of just doing, doing, doing. Once the younger brother came out, that older brother picked up the slack. He was going to make it happen. And what did he end up? A bitter old man. Just bitter. Bitter old young man, probably, yelling at his dad. Left to ourselves, we end up like the folks in the Tower of Babel who worked their butts off to try to create this tower so that they can be safe and protected and have something that gives them a sense of identity. And what happened? God came and confused all that stuff ended that work because he knows we're not all about to do. We have to be about to be if we're going to be doing the work of God. And so there is the to, to be side of life, but left to ourselves without the to do, we end up perhaps like this. Now, nice thing about this kind of life is that we focus on relationships. How is your family? What's going on in your life, we ask. We're about existence. I'm this. I'm doing that. I'm, uh, here's who I am. I got to be me kind of thing. And we are this. And I'm part of this group or that group. That is okay, but it can get a little bit warped so that we end up like that younger brother who was, I got to be me. I got to get out of this place. So give me half the inheritance so I could go and make a life for myself. I don't know as he had the intention that he was going to go waste his life in loose living, as it says in the scripture. Maybe he was going to go make a million dollars. Maybe he was going to go do something great, creative project. But because it was all about him, all about his being, he ends up in a wreck. And then he has to come crawling back to the Father who receives him as he receives every one of us who's tried to make a life for ourselves without him. Or we end up being like those busybodies that Paul mentions in 2 Thessalonians 3, these people who would not get off the dime and do any kind of work, and they spend all their time talking about other people. Tell you, friends, Facebook? Mm. And more of the stuff we're finding out about that company. I don't know. I don't know. You can waste a life finding out what's going on with everybody and being in their life you know, on Facebook. Or the folks uh, who are like news junkies, that might be me, you know, just kind of wanting to know what's going on in the world. That can be kind of busybody stuff if we let it go. No, see, the work of God is that we are to do and to be with him. It's about enterprise. Yes, there is work for us to do. And unless we are in some kind of incapacitated state, there are things that God wants us to do. 
There are enterprises he wants us to be involved in because he's there and he says, please join me. But we're also about existence. He's going to give us a life. He's going to allow us to be the self that he's designed us to be. He's going to connect us with other people in the process so we have a real life. And it's certainly not about the building of the kingdom of, of self, you know, making a great life for yourself. It's not about that. And it's not about building the kingdom of state, making a great company or making a whatever great city. I get it, but that's not what it's about. Jesus was all about the kingdom of God. He spoke about that more than any other subject. And that's not building great churches. No, that's building great environments where he is Lord. Whether that be an individual life, whether that be a a, a relationship or a marriage, whether that be a family, whether that be a neighborhood, whether that be a school or a factory or a business, whether that be a city or a county or a country or a world. The kingdom of God is over it all. That's the work of the Lord. It's building his kingdom as we engage with him day by day. And I'll tell you what happens. When that happens, good things happen. When cities begin to focus on the kingdom of God, and that's why we're here, is to help ourselves and our neighbors who are clueless to see that there's a bigger purpose in life. And when that happens, houses get built. Houses get built for people who have no house. Those are houses that God builds. The city of God gets guarded. Begin to see crime go down. Begin to see great things begin to happen as as the city is guarded by good people and by God himself. People who are hungry get fed. Resources get provided. People get rested. They They have an opportunity to be able to lay their heads in a place of rest. People have a heritage. They're able to end their lives and to say, my life was worth something. And shame begins to leave the premises. That's what happens when people focus on the work of God and on the kingdom of God. That's the work that remains for us to do with the rest of our life. So here's some questions that your coworker God may be asking you, and perhaps you could take one of these home. This first one is probably mine. Are you able to be as well as to do? Are you the kind of person that people say, don't you ever stop? Or are you the person that says, don't you ever do anything? Are you about enterprise and coexistence? Is your work about the kingdom of self? You're just thinking about the next promotion or where you are in the hierarchy? Or is it about the kingdom of state? You know, you're building something great here. Or is it about the kingdom of God, which will take care of all of those things? Are you toiling as you go through your life and your work? Or are you learning how to work and to rest, starting perhaps today? Do you have a heritage that is without shame? Shame is not something that God uses. That's the enemy's territory. And if you've got shame about what you've done or haven't done, about who you are or who you're not, I encourage you, come and get some prayer or join a group, a life group, where those kind of things can begin to be worked out. Before we close, I want us just to think again about Jesus the worker. You know, isn't it amazing to think, again, I wouldn't have done it this way if I were God. If I were coming to earth, I would have come fully formed, you know, the Lord and Savior. Just come and tell people what to do and get this this planet back in shape. But instead, he comes as a baby. He ends up going through his life. He does chores for Mary and Joseph. He learns carpentry trade from his dad, and he works for 30 years as an unknown working stiff 
The reason why the Bible doesn't say anything about him in those years is because there was nothing to say other than the fact that this was God on the planet. A little weird, but in terms of his neighbors, they just saw him doing the job as the son of Joseph, the carpenter. And then, on cue, his cousin, John the Baptist, goes out and baptizes, and Jesus hears God say to him, okay, now's when the work that you've been sent to do for the entire world and for the cosmos is going to begin. So he goes out and he gets baptized by his cousin. Do you remember what the father said to him? He said words to him that you and I need to hear. And the words are really simple. It's this. He said to him, you are my son. It's simple, but it's God said to him, the father, I, I chose you. You're my son. And you need to hear that the God values who you are. He calls you his son or his daughter through his son, Jesus Christ. Once you connect with Jesus, you become a son or a daughter, a child of God. And there's no better thing to know as you go through the struggles and trials of this life. You need to hear that. And then he said to him this. I thought this was great. You're well-pleasing to me. You're well-pleasing to me. For what? He just worked in a carpenter shop. He just took care of his mother. He just, you know, went to the temple every once in a while. Is that pleasing to God? Oh, you bet. You need to know that God's pleased with the work that you do as you do it with him. He will be pleased with whatever you build. He'll be pleased with whatever you have oversight with. He'll be pleased with the children you're raising, people you're caring for. He'll be pleased with the things that you're learning if you're in school. Really important. And then finally he said this, and this is most important. You are my beloved. I love you. Oh my God, do we need to hear that as we go through our work life. So Lord, I just pray that we would hear whichever of those words is most important to us. If we're laboring in our work, which is the sense that we're never pleasing, never going to get any accolades from anybody important that we would hear you say I am pleased with you for this and this and this and if we're just kind of wondering if anybody really thinks we're special well we pray that you would just communicate to us that we're your son or daughter we really are the apple of your eye and most of all especially in our work we would hear that we are the beloved the beloved of God Amen